Due to COVID-19, Han Vision Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia has begun worshiping every Sunday through a pre-recorded service video. You're about to hear a message from a portion of that video delivered by Joe Song. Thanks for listening to Han Vision. Let's go on uh, to a time of the word. You guys have your Bibles. Um, you can open it to Matthew. No surprise there. Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 20, uh, 15 to 22. And I would like a volunteer for someone to read our passage today. can read <clears throat> all right uh matthew 22 15 through 22 right yes okay then the pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words and they sent their disciples to him along with the herodians saying teacher we know that you are true and teach the way of god truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a Daenerys. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is here? They said, Caesar. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that um, you give us your word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will uh, open up our eyes and help us to God, to see the wonderful things in your word. God, help us to know you, Jesus. To truly know you, not just with our minds, but with our entire bodies, with our lives, our souls, with everything that we have. I pray that we will be in a posture to, to, um, to act, not just to hear. Because if we just walk away with more knowledge, then we're worse off than before. Maybe we be ready to change to change the way we live, to be more like you today in response to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's uh, just uh, let's jump, jump right in today. Um, Matthew chapter 22. So let's just remind you of the context. We should be really familiar uh, with the context. We are in the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, it's, it's Passover. It's Holy Week. And um, Jesus, remember, he rode in on a donkey, and then he goes and he clears the temple. He curses the fig tree, and then he gets challenged by the authorities of the temple. The Pharisees and the Sadducees all came together to be like, Jesus, who do you think you are? Who gave you the right to do all these things? And then Jesus asked them a question, and they can't even answer it, so they backed off. And then Jesus goes and he starts, he tells three parables that are against them, right? He, he does the parable of the two sons, of the vineyards, and the wedding. Each, each one, like calls them out of their hypocrisy 
of their lack of obedience to God. And basically at the end of each parable, it's, it's, a, it's an invitation to repent. Jesus is calling them to turn, to realize their sin and to turn away and to follow him. But instead, this is what, this is their response. So their response in verse 15 is the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Like, instead of just being like, you're right, Jesus, we're wrong. We only, we've only been, we've been such hypocrites. They, they're like, you know what? We got to get rid of this guy. How we, we can't seem to beat him in a fair fight, right? We can't, he has more authority than us. He has more power than us. Like we can't seem to catch him doing anything wrong. And so we have to, like we, we have to just trick him. We have to entangle him in his words. And so they set up a trap, something that they, can, they think that either whatever Jesus says, it's going to get him in trouble. And so they sent, verse 16, they sent their disciples to him. So they don't even go back because they're so ashamed of their defeat. They just send like their, their disciples and they're like, all right, you guys go. We already got owned by Jesus. You go. And then, you know what? Bring along some of the Herodians. Now, the Herodians are actually not friends with the Pharisees. They're actually on the other side politically. With the, Her- the Herodians are the ones who are really big fans of the Roman government. They, they are benefiting from, the, from Rome. And the Pharisees are kind of like anti-Rome. They, they are, they're for the Jews and they're for the people and they don't like their oppressors. But it's weird that they send both of them together. But this is why, because they're setting up a trap that's going to trap Jesus in between these two groups. And so they say, teacher, we know that you're true. You teach the way of God truthfully, and you don't care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, right? And uh, so tell us, what do you think? Um, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? So in that, so this is, this is the, the trap. There was this, there's a, there's a tax that the Romans put on all non-Roman citizens. So Roman citizens was like, uh, a very limited thing. And everyone whom Rome conquered, and Israel was one of those people, everyone who wasn't a Roman citizen, they would give them this poll tax that they would just tax everyone for not being a Roman citizen. So it was like a tax for the privilege to be oppressed by their oppressors. You know what I'm saying? It was like a slap to the face. It's like, not only do we own you, we're going to pay you for the privilege to be owned by us. And so the Jews hated this tax. This tax was like such an embarrassment. It, they, they were so offended by it. In fact, this tax was, they hated it so much that in, in, in about 50 years from now, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a little bit, they're go, actually going to rise up and they're going to fight the entire Roman Empire because of this tax. And then Rome is going to destroy Jerusalem because of it. So that's how big of a deal this issue was like this issue made the Jews so angry. They hated this tax so much so that they were even willing to go to war for it. And so this was like, this was the issue. So, so the people hated the tax. The Pharisees were like agreeing. They're like, yeah, this tax is wrong. This tax is like, is evil. We shouldn't be giving money to this pagan emperor. Right. And, but the Pharisees would never say that publicly because if they did, they would get in trouble with the Romans. Like they were, that, that's literally, um, it's treason. So they would say it, but they wouldn't say it publicly. 
So they come and they, they're trying to trick Jesus into saying it publicly. They're, they, so that when they ask Jesus, should we pay this pagan tax, right? Should we, the, is it rightful by the law of God that we, the people of God, should give money to this pagan emperor who calls himself a son of God? Like, this is ridiculous, Jesus, right? So should we pay the tax? I mean, you don't care. You're not afraid of anyone. You're not afraid of the government. You're not afraid of Rome, right? We know you're so brave and you say the right thing. So Jesus, right here in front of everyone, look, we even brought the Herodians, but you're not afraid of them, are you? It's like they're daring Jesus, right? They're challenging him to to say what's going to incriminate him in front of the Herodians, right? Now, Jesus has two options. It's either he says, Yes, pay the tax. But then if he says that, then he loses the popular opinion of all the people. The people are like, oh, look, look at Jesus. He's a sellout. He's afraid of the Roman government too. He thinks that we should just do with them. He's just like the Sadducees, right? But if Jesus says, no, we shouldn't pay the tax, then he just, um, they're going to arrest him. And so Jesus is in this really bad situation where either thing is going to, he's going to lose, but then in verse 18, Jesus is aware of their malice. You know, he's, he knows what they're thinking. Malice, that word means intention uh, or desire to do evil. He knows that they want to do evil to Jesus, and he is aware of their thoughts. And so, like, here's a little thing. God is aware of your thoughts. He is aware of our intentions. Like, he knows our thoughts. He knows our, our secret motivations and our secret sins, like you can say all the right things. You can say all the flattering words to God and he knows what you really mean, right? Like you can say the right word. That's the crazy thing. We could say, we could sing, we could pray the right, the, all the right words, yet God knows our hearts. Do you guys, do you guys hear what I'm saying? Like, look at what they said. Everything the, Pharise- the disciple of the Pharisees actually said was 100% correct. They said, you know, you, don't, you, are, you, tru- you teach the way of God truthfully. You don't care about anyone's opinion. You're not swayed by appearances. Those are all 100% correct statements. But it doesn't matter if what you say is correct, if your heart, if your motivation is on sin. It's not about knowing or saying the right things. It's about your heart. Even the demons know the correct information about Jesus. Even the demons know who God really is. Even the demons know the scriptures. James 2.19 says that they know who God is. They know the right information. In Matthew 8.29, even the demons, when they see Jesus, they're like, you are the son of God. You are here. And they know him even though no one else does. But the demons are still demons. Because their heart, even though they know the right information, is not with God. And so just like that, even though we can sing and pray and say flattering things to God in our songs, even in our prayers, God is not fooled by our words or even our correct theology. He sees the malice that is inside of our hearts. Psalm chapter one night. Uh, 139 verse 1 to 2 it says oh lord you search me you know me you know when i when i sit down you know when i rise up you discern my thoughts from afar we are trying so god knows 
no matter, even though you might say the right things on the outside, he knows what your heart is really trying to do. And Jesus knew these guys' hearts. They were saying, oh yeah, Jesus, you're right. You're so great. You're so fearless. But they knew what they were trying to do. They were trying to trap Jesus. And they were not actually trying to glorify God by avoiding the Roman tax. They just wanted to keep their money. They weren't trying to be like, oh, yeah, we don't want to dishonor God by paying this tax. Their heart was just selfishness, and they were looking for a religious reason to not pay the tax. They didn't want, they didn't want, to, just, they didn't want to do it for God. It was for themselves. Do you guys ever do that? Like, do we ever use false devotion to God to, like, hide our malice, to hide our own sinful motives? Like, let me give you an example. Like, I don't want to give money to that homeless guy because, you know, I want to help him. But if I just keep giving him money, if I give him this money right now, he's going to become dependent on handouts. And so, therefore, because I want to love him, I will not give him my money. You guys know what I'm saying? Or... Or, or, but then the real reason why you're not giving him money isn't because you care about him so much. The real reason why you're ignoring him and walking on the other side of the street is because you're too selfish and greedy and stingy. But you use a religious reason to mask your own selfishness. Or let's say, okay, okay how about a youth group example? A Christian girl breaks up with you saying she wants to focus on Jesus, but then goes and starts dating another guy the next week. You guys know what I'm saying. We use religious sounding reasons to cover up our own selfish, sinful desires. Or or let's take it to another level. Your parents, or maybe even you yourself, you say, I want to make tons of money and be rich for God. Because, you know, like, I want to give a lot once I become rich. I need to become successful so I can give a lot to the church once I get all this money. And that's what our parents tell us. That's what you say to yourself. But come on, you're just slapping a religious sounding reason to cover up your malice. God knows the true motivations of your heart. And it doesn't matter how religiously you wrap it. God knows what is there. And so Jesus calls them out. He says, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? And if Jesus were to analyze the things that we say to him, things that we say to ourselves about God, would he call you out today? And would he call you a hypocrite? What are the things you declare to God? What are the things you praise God with? Are you actually living those things out or are you two-faced, right? Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? These guys, there's one other person that tests Jesus. And that's in Matthew 4. And that's the devil, the devil and these guys. And, and, you know, a test is given to find out truth. But these guys aren't testing Jesus to find out the truth. They're not like curious. We want to know the right answer. They don't care about the right answer. They just want to mess up Jesus. They want to mess with God. They are against him. And oftentimes we test God, not because we really want to find out the truth, but we test God because we just want to do what we want to do. And we're just trying to find loopholes to get to our own desires. And it's not about the will of God at all. Right? Like what are the kinds of questions that the devil asked Jesus when he was testing him? He said, like, if you are the son of God, you would do these things. And then these guys are saying, Jesus, is it lawful? to do these things. Does, and we might ask questions like, does the Bible really say 
I can do this. Or we're like, hey, how far is too far? What can I do to get away with this? Is this really sin? Like all those kinds of questions are the kind of testing that isn't concerned with what is God's will. It's concerned with how much can I get away with to do the things that I want to do. You guys know what I'm saying? Do we test God when we come before him? Do you study the scriptures because you want to know what God wants? Or do you study the scriptures to look for loopholes to like do the things that you want to do? And Jesus calls them out. You're a hypocrite. So Jesus doesn't fall into the trap. He doesn't do either. In fact, he says an answer that they didn't even think of that. It's so profound, so simple that they're blown away. Jesus says, show me a coin for the tax. They brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Now, like, I love this. Jesus does, first of all, like, Jesus doesn't have a denarius because he's so poor, right? So he's like, can someone bring me one, right? And obviously these guys, they, they have one, right? Because they're, they're, they're not poor. They're, they're powerful people. So they bring a, a denarius. And on each of these, Rome, uh, of these denarius is a picture of Tiberius Caesar, the second Roman em- uh, emperor of that time, the son of Augustus Caesar, And there's an inscription on here that says, Tiberius Caesar, the son of God. So this coin, in and of itself, its very existence was sacrilegious to Jews who are by one of their 10, by the 10 commandments says, you shall not make an image of anything on earth or in heaven, right? So this was an image of a person that literally said they are God. This was a sacrilegious, evil sort of coin that the Jews who are very orthodox, would would consider this a sacrilegious thing. And it's funny that the Pharisees, who who seem so bent against it, are the ones who, like, have one. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, I got one. Like, they use the very thing that they they consider so sinful and blasphemy. And then, so Jesus says, well, whose inscription is that? And they said, verse 21, it's Caesar's. And he said to them, therefore, render to Caesars the things that are Caesars and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. Like, it's so brilliant. Like, no one can argue against this. Jesus is like, they're like, hey, whose money is this? And Jesus is like, well, whose name is on it? Uh, Caesars? Well, then it's his. Give it to him. Give to Caesar what belongs to him. Right? They're like, hey, who's whose money is this? Jesus is, do we have to give this to him? He's like, is his face on it? Then it's his Give to the things that belong to him. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And so that is the attitude that Christ, that's his answer. What are we supposed to do when it comes to the things that we owe our earthly authorities, the people of God, the people of Christ, We are called to honor the earthly authority that God has put over us. As long as it doesn't conflict with his laws, we are supposed to honor and follow and give what we owe to the people that God has put over us in our lives. That is true for parents, and it's true for governments, and it's true for any other earthly authority that we happen to find ourselves under. If you guys... This is true in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 and 7, it says this. So this is the scenario. The, the Israelites are being taken, have been taken over by the Babylonian Empire. This is a pagan, a pagan nation that has conquered the people of Israel and has taken them exile uh, into Babylon against their will. 
And here's the thing. God doesn't say fight against this empire. They are evil. They are pagan. This is what God says instead. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into the exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So God is saying, like, you think they, they stole you? I actually sent you there because of your own sin. In verse 5, it says, this is what you do. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons, give your daughters into marriage, and they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Babylon was a pagan government, and but God gave them over to them and then told them to be good citizens, follow their laws, bless their people, pray for them, right? And to actually be a part of their society and to, to actively bless that society by being part of it. We are called wherever God happens to send us in this world, whatever government or country or place he sends us to, we are supposed to be part of that. And we're supposed to bless it. We're supposed to pray for it. We're supposed to honor it. Even though it might not be a Christian government. You guys know that the United States of America is not a Christian government. The USA isn't a a Christian country but we are still supposed to honor it as the authority that God has put over us, right? But you might say, but Pastor Joe, that's just Old Testament. What about Christians in the New Testament? How are we supposed to, are we still supposed to follow that, that Jeremiah passage? Well, Romans chapter 13, verse one says this, every, this is New Testament. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Guys, we live in a secular human institutions, but Jesus didn't come to overthrow those institutions. He didn't didn't even overthrow the Roman government, which was super pagan. And he didn't tell his followers to do that either. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake. This is for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, Verse 16 says, live as people who are free, not by using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Verse 17 says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Guys, as we live under the government, under the institution of this country, we are to live in these institutions as servants of God. Servants of God is our primary identity, but we are also supposed to honor everyone regardless of their religion, whether they're pagan or not. We honor the emperor, which represents the leadership of whatever authority you're under, whether they're pagan or not. You don't have to agree with who's in charge. You don't have to like who's in charge, but you need to do your part to honor the laws and the leaders that we've been given. All right. So like some of you might've really not liked who was in the white house seven years ago. All right. And some of you might not like who's in the White House right now. But as Christians, we are called to honor our earthly authority, whom God has put over us. Um, Daddy. Yes, son. Can you help 
Son, you need to honor me as your earthly authority and leave right now. It's okay. <laughs> right? So we don't have to like our earthly authority all the time, but we do have to honor them. So like, and if you don't, here's the thing. If you don't like your earthly, agree with your earthly authority, you can, you can like work to change it, but don't break its laws. Don't avoid taxes. Don't hate those whom you disagree with. Don't hate those who run your government. That's not what Christians do. Now, there are, are exceptions when these governments and these authorities are blatantly against the will of God. Like in Daniel, Daniel defies his emperor when he's, when he's called to pray to an idol. But he defies that in order to obey the laws of God. We have evil uh, authorities like like Egypt when Egypt was had had Egypt was when they were had um the Israelites enslaved God pulled them out there's the Nazis there's North Korea there's American slavery there are institutions in history that are are against the will of God and at those times we are called to break those but the norm is for Christians to honor the leadership that is put over us so guys follow the laws of the land. I need to ask you, are you honoring the leadership that God has placed over your life? Whether that be your parents or your government, are you knowingly breaking some of the laws? Are some of you like not paying your taxes because you should, right? Like you, you need to be a good citizen of this country and you shouldn't be trying to use religion as an excuse to get out of the things that we are, we are actually called to do. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's so, like, it, it, like, really irks me when Christians are, like, embezzling money or, like, try, avoiding, like, their taxes and doing shady business. Like, as Christians, we need to be the best citizens that God calls us to be. But then Jesus adds a bigger question. He says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar but give to God what belongs to God. And that is the bigger thing. And the question is when Jesus says, give to God what belongs to God, the question would be then what? What belongs to God? Well, obviously it's everything, right? Everything belongs to God. But Jesus's reasoning is, how do you know that coin belongs to Caesar? Because whose image does it bear? It bears Caesar, so that belongs to Caesar. So give it to Caesar. But then who bears the image of God? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him male and female. We, like that coin, we bear an image. And we don't bear the image of a person or a government. We bear the image of God himself. You and I, I don't care how, like, what, the, what you think about yourself, but you bear the image of God. You do. That's who you are. That's how you, we were made to bear his image. Therefore, we belong to him. When Jesus says, give to God what belongs to God, he's talking about you, your life, your entire being, your time, your money, everything belongs to him. Are we giving ourselves to the Lord? Right? You know, and supposedly that's what you did when you were a Christian. We surrendered our lives to God. We gave him everything. But let me ask you today, are you giving to, the, to God what belongs to him? 
And I could go, there's so many things that I could talk about specifically, but I'll just point out three things that I'm going to ask us. Are you giving these things on to the Lord? Number one, your body belongs to God. Are you giving God your body? Now, I know that sounds weird, but we always forget this. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19 says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Guys, unlike what our culture says, my body, my choice is not a Christian saying. It's funny because the right side has used this phrase, my body, my choice, or the left has used my body, my choice. And now if you look at the news, the, le- the right is also using my body, my choice for different things. But the whole concept of my body, my choice is not a Christian thing. If you're a Christian, it is not your body. It is not your choice. Your body belongs to the Lord and it is a temple of his Holy Spirit to be set apart for his, to be holy. Like he is holy. We're to treat our bodies with reverence and respect. Some of you guys abuse your bodies. You abuse it you, you, with, with alcohol, with drunkenness. You, we, you know, some of you, uh, you hurt yourselves. You cut it because it gives you some sense of control. But guys, that is not your body to harm. That is not your body to, to do that. Because we, it's not ours. The moment Jesus became the Lord of our lives. The moment we accepted the cross of Christ, our bodies, he paid for that with his blood. When you look in the mirror and you hate what you see, do you not realize whose that is? Your body belongs to the Lord and it is not your choice what you do with it anymore. You can't just yeah, you can't just get drunk because according to the, the laws of God, we're not supposed to get drunk. We're these bodies that belong to him, right? Our bodies are not for sexual immorality. I don't care what your body feels or desires. Those desires are no longer what drives your body. If you feel sexual desire that is outside of the laws of God, then you, that is not your choice to act on that desire anymore. This is if you're a Christian. So are you holding on to your body like it belongs to you? Are you doing things to your body, using your body as if it's yours and not God's? Because you need to give it to him right now. Some of us today, you need to surrender your desires, your fleshly desires to God today. And you need to give yourself. You need to say, God, I'm going to give you my sexual desires. I have so many that are not, that are outside of what you want it to be. And I'm surrendering them to you. I've been doing whatever I've wanted with my own body and I give it to you. Some of you are giving your body over to drunkenness or drugs, you know, and that is against what God, you're sinning against the body that belongs to the Lord. Some of you are harming yourselves because you think your body is yours, but if you are a Christian, it is not And you need to take care of what is God's. It is the temple of the living God. And so some of us need to repent today and you need to give to God what belongs to God. Amen. I can't hear you. I don't know why I said that with an inflection, expecting a, a response. Number two, our time belongs to God. Are you giving him your time? Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 says, look carefully Uh, Then on how you walk, not as 
unwise, but as wise. Be the, uh, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Guys, if you became a Christian, it's not your time to waste anymore. Your life is not yours to waste anymore. Don't give me like, like, so my question is, are you giving your time to God? Are you actually giving time to the Lord exclusively? I'm going to be honest. A lot of you, a lot of us are not giving our time to God. We still think our time belongs to us. And I know that because, because we just don't. Like God's not dumb. We don't give any time to the Lord. You look at your schedules and there's no time set aside for God, right? Some, and like oftentimes I talk to people, I'm like, hey, do you spend, do you actually spend time with God? And they'll say like, oh, you know, I talk to God all the time, just throughout the day. Guys, God knows your motives. He knows that when you say like, oh yeah, I just talk to God all, all the time. It really means you don't actually spend, you don't actually set aside any time for God. All right. You can say, and it can sound really nice, like, oh, yeah, I'm always thinking about him, like when I'm driving in the car or when I'm sitting in the bathroom or, you know, when I'm like walking from here to there. I shove God in between all the things that I'm doing. You are not giving any real time to the Lord. You are putting him wherever you want him to be. So don't give me, don't, I mean, you can fool me all you want, but I, like God knows, he sees your heart. He knows your motives. He knows that when you, that you are not giving very much or any time to God at all. And the time that you do give to him, you just can't wait to get out of there, right? Are we devoting our lives to the Lord, right? I, I don't, when you say, I don't have time, that's not an excuse. I don't have time means I don't, want to give him my time. That's all. You, we always find time for the things we want. And if we're not, if, if you don't feel like you don't have enough time for God, it's because you don't want to. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added onto you. Are you giving God your time, real time, your first, your best the best of your time, not just the scraps, not just the leftovers, not just the little bits and pieces that you can find, or at the end of the day, whatever's left over. God doesn't want your leftovers. Are you giving him your best time? When are you most lucid? When, are you, when is your concentration the best? When are you most focused? Give that time to the Lord. Give him your best. Block out the best moments of your day and give it onto him. A real relationship with God actually takes time to know him, to learn more about him. Any deep, even a human relationship, deep relationships take tons and tons of time, right? So whenever I'm counseling couples, like the thing they always complain about is like, they don't have, like someone doesn't want to spend enough time with them, you know? Any relationship, guys, okay, any single guys over there, if you don't have a lot of time, then don't date, because relationships take tons of time. And the deeper the relationship, the more time it takes. It takes time to get to know God. Real time. It takes time to read his word. It takes 
hours and hours of prayer to actually become intimate with God. There are no shortcuts. You can't just get to know God by praying for 30 seconds here and 30 seconds there, by reading your Bible two sentences here, by reading a chapter once a week. You will never get to know him if you don't actually give him real time. And God is not fooled. Our time belongs to God. Are you giving him any? Are you giving him your best time? Or are you giving him your leftovers? And the final thing, the final area of our life that I want to focus on today is, are you giving God your money? You know, I mean, maybe it's obvious because, you know, this whole thing is about, about, about like taxes and stuff. But like, let's be honest. A lot of you aren't giving God any of your money. You're just holding on to it. You know, in the Old Testament, there was this thing called a tithe. There was 10% of, what, of, the first, of the best and the first fruits of what you had. Whatever God gave to you, you gave the best in your first 10 to the Lord so that the, the house of God can be funded so that the worship of God would never, ever stop. That's what the tithe was for, for the temple service, so that the praise and the glory of God would be funded by the people of God whom God has saved and whom God has provided them with these things. And they gave a little bit of that so that this God who has saved them, gave them life, would be praised. That was the Old Testament. And you know what? There was actually multiple tithes. It wasn't just 10%. There was the temple tithe. There was the tithe for the poor. There was the tithe for the special festivals. And it actually was more like 23%. But here's the thing. We're New Testament people. We are freed from the law of the Old Testament. Romans chapter 7, verse 6 says this, But now we are released from the law, but having died to that which has held us captive, so that we serve the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so a lot of Christians take this and they're like, Oh, look, we don't have to give a tithe anymore. We're not bound by the old law that says we have to give it this 10%, this 20% to God. We're freed from it. And that's true. So does that mean we, we, we don't have to give anything to God? Does God require nothing from us? Or does, God, or does that mean, oh, sweet, we don't have to give 10%. Now we can give less. Here's the thing. Jesus talks more about money than heaven and hell. So he has, very, he has a clear desire for what he wants us to do with the money that we're given. Because that money, it shows us where our hearts truly are. Matthew 6, verse 21, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He is saying that what you do, what we do with our money and our possessions reveals our true faith and our true priorities, right? Yeah, we're not bound by the Old Testament laws anymore of the tithe, but the new way of the Spirit is what we are given. And that new way of the Spirit is a better way. It's a greater way. We're freed from the old law by the blood of Christ to be more generous, to be able to give more, not less. Everything about the new covenant is greater than the old covenant. So it doesn't make sense that we're freed from the old covenant to be more stingy, more greedy, and to be more tight with our money and to trust God less than the people of the Old Testament. We're supposed to be more generous, trust God more out of the joy, out of the greater sacrifice that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Second, so this is what we're required. 
2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one of us must give, not maybe give. It's we must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, as for the rich in this present age, and I think that's every single one of us, because any one of you who are here on Zoom are rich enough to have some sort of device that can stream high-speed internet into your device and be watching this right now. So as for the rich of this present age, that's all of us. Some of you are like trying to sign off right now. <laughs> Charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. And if you guys know anything about this season, riches are very uncertain. But on God, who richly provides for us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Guys, the new covenant means that we are called to be rich, not in how much we store up, but in how much we give out and how much we give generously, joyfully, how we are so ready to share. Like, are you ready? Do you prepare to share? You know, like, I remember Grace, she, she had a call with an old coworker and she was sharing about something and the coworker immediately, his first response to something that Grace said about our church, because Grace was sharing how Hanvision, like, you know, our churches, you know, like we took a really big hit to our offering and immediately his first response was like, can I give? How much can I give? Do you guys need help? And I, I was immediately able to sense that he had money set aside, ready to give to anyone who had need. He was like preparing to give, right? Like instead of like whenever someone or someone comes and hits you up for money, you're like, ah, oh. instead of like that, Christians should be like, yes, I've been waiting for someone to give to you today. I've been preparing for this. What is required of us is not less, but more. We're required as Christians to to joyfully, sacrificially, generously give to God and to his people and to those who are in need. So some of us are like, oh, 10%, oh, can I give, like, do I have to? It's not like, that's the wrong attitude. We shouldn't be asking how little can we give, but in light of the new covenant, how much can I give? How much more can I give? Right? So I'm going to ask you guys, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be really honest with you. Hun Vision, do you, do you give offering? And if you do, is, is your offering, would it be considered generous in the eyes of God? Is it considered, is it considered, or is it considered stingy? Like God knows how much he gives you, right? And if you don't give, now, this is for those, if you don't really give to God or to missions or to people who are in need, if you don't give regularly, why not? You know, God is always required for his people to be generous. But why don't you give? Do you not trust God? Do you not believe? Do you not want to obey the things that he, do, or do you think that money belongs to you? Right? 
So why don't you? Is it, I mean, are you just, are you just greedy? Youth group, why don't you give? You're like, I don't have a job, but I bet you guys somehow get money. Like, it's not about how you get the money. God somehow provides all of us with some sort of income, right? If you, some of you youth kids, you guys get allowance. Give, pray, thank God for that allowance. Thank God for your parents and then say, Lord, how much of this can I give for the service of your kingdom? And set, that side, set it aside to offer it to the Lord in the ways that he calls you to do it. And then do that with whatever money comes your way from this point till forever. Don't just start when you're going to get a job. Don't just start when you're an adult. Start right now. Start with the little that you have. You might get like $2 a week. Then be like, God, can I give like, you know, a portion of this to you? How much of this can I give to you, God, that you've given to me? And Jesus said, those who have been given, who are faithful with little, more will be given. If you're faithful with what you've been given now, you're going to be given even more to be faithful later. Don't wait. Guys, those of you who are working, you know that the more money you make, and if you haven't been regularly giving generously to those, it, gets, it doesn't get easier to give as you make more money. It gets harder and harder and harder. And so you need to start giving. Don't make, I don't make money. I, I just get allowance as an excuse. Are you getting unemployment? And so you stop giving? Dude, that's how God's providing for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't make excuses. Be like, well, I'm not working for it. And so like, I'm not going to give it to the Lord. Like, just seriously, everything, any way that God provides for you, I want you to pray. Not just your money, but your stuff, the things that God provides. How can I give onto the Lord? to honor him and to bless him with the ways that he has, 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 has given me. Like, it's not like God suddenly becomes less worthy of your money because of a pandemic. I mean, I actually think that his worthiness does not diminish at all. Are you just going to wait till you make tons of money before you start giving? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people have stopped giving all together to charities, to churches, to people in need. They just stopped giving because of this pandemic, because their, their income went down a little bit. And they're like, well, I'm going to wait till my income goes back up or reaches a certain level that I'm comfortable with. And then I'll start giving like, does, is God any less worthy? Should we stop giving when we're poor? Then what is the, the, parable of the poor widow mean when Jesus commends the widow who gave even out of her poverty? Guys, our faith cannot just be our words. How can we say, God, I give you everything, but I don't, I don't want to give you my money. I don't want to, oh, God, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. How can we say, God, have my life. I surrender everything, but God, I don't want to give you my time. How can we say, God, Everything is yours, but my body, that's up to me. My sexuality, that's, what I, it's, that's whatever I feel. God, he sees our hearts. He knows us. And so today, it's not the Pharisees that need to hear the words of Jesus that says, give to Caesars what is Caesars and to give to God what is God's. It is you 
and me. Will we hear his call to fully surrender with our hearts, our lives, our time? What area of your life are you not giving on to the Lord? I want you to lay that down before God and surrender to him today. Thanks for listening to the Han Vision Podcast. We hope you are blessed. Join us next week on Han Vision.